Father, again, I thank you that you're our Father. We couldn't do it on our own, but you did it through your Son. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. We thank you that you have brought us into a relationship that we could never do on our own. You have adopted us. You've called us your sons and daughters and heirs and joint heirs. We can live for you now. And as we meet you someday, we'll live for you for eternity. We thank you that we are safe and secure. That this whole situation called earth and the world is just a blink on the screen. It's just a dot. That we look forward to our the real life, eternal life. And we thank you that we can enjoy it now, the start of it, and yet we look forward to the perfection of it and glorification. Lord, I thank you for my family. I thank you for my church family. Thank you for each one here. I so wanted to be here, and I thank you for allowing me to do this. Lord, may we function as you would want us to, as your family, to love one another, to love to. Uh, just to love you, really to show our love for you by loving one another. Lord, I pray for today. Uh, this is obviously, for me, very emotional, and yet we're here to glorify Christ. We're here to uplift his name. We're taking his table. Lord, we want to look into your word. We want to understand what it says. We want to live by it. So, Lord, I just pray that you would receive the honor and glory. Let me give a glimpse of what's happening in my life, but then let's get right to the, what's really why we're here, and that is to glorify you. So we ask that you would just give us the ability and the power and the wisdom to do that. In Christ's name, amen. 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 You may be seated. I don't know. I'm going to have to sit only because I get tired. <laughs> If you want to turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, I, I told you a month ago I wanted to do that. Is this too hot or is this good? Let me just give you an update. I think that's best. Um, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much. Your prayers, your texts, your cards, your visits, your calls. By the way, thank you even if you didn't do any of those. I know some of you are struggle. What do I say? What do I do? What do I... I know that you're praying for me, and I appreciate that. So I really do thank you. I thank you for just the church body as a whole. Um, where I'm at right now is they basically opened me up and closed me up and said there's not much we can do. The chemo, I'm taking three rounds every two weeks. Then they'll do a CAT scan. They said you have a few months, but if you do chemo, you might double that or maybe even up to a year. Hey, uh, can God heal? And can, uh, you know, are we in his hands? So everything's good. <laughs> um, by the way, someone asked me, uh, are the elders forcing you into preaching? <laughs> <laughs> or something to that fact. No. And I think he already knew the answer. Um, they have given. I, I'm going to be going on disability, probably full, because I, I just I can't do you right the way I'm at. Um, by the way, once a shepherd, always a shepherd. Um, I always want to minister to you. You may have to come to me. I may not come to you. 
too tiring, uh, trying to get out to men's prayer, things like that. But the reason I'm here is because I have a full heart. You know, what does it say in Corinthians? Uh, we don't lose heart. Our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed. My inward man has been renewed, so I've got like a full heart. I've got things to say. I want to I, I wanna help you. I want to shepherd you, okay? And, and really, that is my goal. Um, you know, I, I'm going towards a disability because I don't want the burden on the church. I mean, you guys have been very gracious, the elders, deacons, leadership, everyone. Um, but we'll see where that goes. Um, you know, am I discouraged? Oh, I've had a few dark days, dark moments. I have a lovely wife. She really helps me through those. And the Lord. Obviously the Lord. I mean, really, when it's all said and done, I have to get... What I do is I go away and I start looking at Scripture. And one of the ones that have really ministered to my soul is Philippians one twenty one. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I keep living on in the flesh. This will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I mean, I have a great desire to be with Christ, which is far better Verse 24 says this, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. By the way, I'm chewing gum. I've never done this, but my mouth is so dry, I have to. I hope it doesn't bother you. Um, Otherwise, all you'll hear is nothing. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is, Lord, you've given me a full heart. I'm still a shepherd. If I can give some contribution to your family of God, I'd like to. And that's really my goal till the day that the Lord calls me home, whether it's a month or 10 years from now. I really want to pass on, let's say, the last or some lessons and, quite honestly, to call some of you up to the standard and say, you know what, maybe you want to step up to the plate now. And and we, we have need for leadership. We have need for deacons and elders and need for uh, teachers, and I want to be a blessing to you, and I know you want to be a blessing to me because you have been already. So, the way I kind of look at it is we, I'm fighting for life, but I'll die in peace, right? So, you know, it's that, it's that whole, how do you, you know, Lord, uh, I just want to love you, serve you, serve your people, just like you want to do. Amen? Amen? By the way, can you see me? I feel like I'm melting. Uh, can they see me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right, let's go to Ecclesiastes. Just people keep saying, you only have to preach 10 minutes, John. Come on. <laughs> By the way, one thing happens with t- potassium. If it gets too low, you can't. You, your muscles stop. So first thing will probably be my mouth will stop. Then I'll drop over. <laughs> Come very quickly and see if my thing is working, because that's where my potassium is coming from. Yeah. Yeah, you know, man, I I tell you what, I love this book of Ecclesiastes. I, you know, in the hospital for those weeks, I just keep meditating on it. And uh, all I really want to look at is verses 1 and 2 today. And really, we're moving towards the the communion table. Um, So... But this is what Ecclesiastes 1 says. I got this. If I can do it, I'm going to stand. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, The words of the preacher 
the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And really, just those two verses has a lot of, actually quite a few questions we have to answer. Now again, I'm starting the series, I don't know if I'll ever finish it, but you know, we'll just kind of pick along as it, oh, by the way, what, this is what the elder says, whatever you can do, John, do. I love that, you know? So, I mean, if I can be here on Sunday mornings and preach, that'd be great. We'll just have to see. But let's, let's just answer a few questions, maybe three, four of them, just that's found in verses one and two. And your outline will be somewhat right. I actually prepared it about a month ago, and I kind of changed some things. But the first question is this, why study Ecclesiastes at all? I mean, why study the book? Is it really worth the study? One man said this, no book of the Bible has been so maligned and so misunderstood as the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's, quite, it's quite misunderstood. I mean, I, I've read a number of commentaries, and, and many of them are very pessimistic, very fatalistic, cynical, materialistic, and really it isn't. The book of Ecclesiastes is actually, some people would say it's the, um, it's the Old Testament uh, book of Philippians. In other words, Philippians is a book on joy, and actually Ecclesiastes is a book on joy. It was, read, it was written, or it was read, excuse me, and the, uh, the third day of the Feast of Tabernacles, that was a day of rejoicing. The Jews knew that what the, the, the author was saying was something very positive. He was saying it, though, in a, in, in a realistic sense. And that's where some people think it's negative. But it's really a book of joy. It's really how do you enjoy life and really get the most out of life. Well, let me give you four or five reasons why we would like to study this. First of all, because it's truthful about the troubles of life. Herman Melville said this, it's the truest of all books. I mean, it really paints the true picture. It captures some things, though, that happen in a fallen world. The futility, the frustration that we have to experience in a fallen world. Do you ever experience frustration in a fallen world? I mean, let's, like, like this, drudgery of work. You ever get, you know, like tired of work? That's found in Ecclesiastes. The injustice of government, the dissatisfaction of foolish pleasure, the numbing tedium of everyday life, you know, like women, ladies, mothers, you know, like your, uh, you know, your, your dirty clothes basket is always full and you're always, you know, more dirty clothes, more dirty dishes. Why do we have to go through, I mean, growing up, my wife and I would, you know, like, Another set of dishes to do, you know? You know, by 8.30 at night, thank, thank the Lord we're now done with dishes for one more day. That's tedium, drudgery. He actually, uh, he, he actually addresses that. It can get tiresome. But how can you find joy in the midst of the norm? You know, just the norm of life. So that's, that's one of the reasons we want to study it. Another reason is because we, we will learn what will happen to us if we choose what the world tries to offer instead of what God gives. See, the world is, is, is throwing out its trinkets all the time to us. And it's saying, follow me. Follow what I say. Follow my pattern, the world says. But the, God says, wait, wait, wait. No, you've got to go in a different direction. See, the author of the book, and I want you to catch this, had more than anyone else, had more pleasure, possessed more human wisdom than anyone else in the world, yet everything still ended in frustration. 
And sometimes I think we, we run after the world thinking it's going to make us happy. And, and the Ecclesiastes will say this, wait, you want to find true joy, you follow God. In fact, the author is kind of saying it this way. Why make your own mistakes when you can learn from an expert like me? See, that's what the author is saying. He's, he is going to test all the different possibilities, how people try to find joy and satisfaction in life found in this world. And he's going to say this when he's all said and done. Why go down your own path? Just learn from me. Read the book. I'll tell you what's the end product. See, I think this is really good for the young. See, for the young person here, let's say you're under 18, under 20, this book will help you understand what you should expect. This is what you should expect from the world. And if you think it's going to meet all your needs, you are sadly mistaken. You will find that you'll get 65, you'll be 70 years old and still saying, man, it didn't meet my expectation. So for the young, this is good. And now maybe you're middle age. What this book will do for you is it'll point and say, now this is what I want you to live for. And again, it's going to be all around God. Yes, enjoy this world. In fact, I wish I had read this book when I was young and middle age and really understood the message. Yes, fully enjoy what God is giving. Isn't he a, a giver of all good gifts, James says? Right? But don't expect your satisfaction out of it. Don't think somehow that that's going to meet your truest, deepest need. But for the old, it also explains why sometimes we get frustrated. The drudgery of life. We've been doing this. I thought it was going to get better. I thought it was going to be easier. Uh, by the way, older people, does it get easier? Well, yeah, more relationships, more possibilities of hurts, more possibilities of all that. So, anyways, we're going to learn. Don't listen to the world. Number three, because it asks the most important questions that people are still asking today. Like, what's the meaning of life? The author's going to answer that. Why am I so sometimes uh, unhappy, dissatisfied? And what will make me happy? I mean, does God really care? And why is there so much suffering in this world and injustice in this world? And is life really worth living? I mean, all those, he, he's answering all those. The big questions of life, Ecclesiastes is answering. Another, another one is that it helps us to worship the one and true and living God. It's interesting, the word Elohim, not Jehovah, which is covenant-keeping God, but Elohim is found like 40 times in the book. And Dr. Barrick uh, did a study, and he found that this is, this, is the, this is what is said about God in Ecclesiastes. That God is sovereign, he has providential grace, he's eternal, he's the creator, he's perfect, he is, he is just, he is holy. By the way, if we get through the book, we'll keep seeing these. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, <coughs> everywhere present. He preserves his saints. We should have reverential fear for him. We should have obedience before him with sacrifice. And he wrote the book. I mean, what I'm saying is Ecclesiastes is drenched with God. That's what I'm trying to say. Drenched. But see, that's the whole point of the, the author. The author is trying to draw us from what the world says and says, listen, turn your gaze on God. Turn your gaze on God. Know that he's going to be the one that truly, truly satisfies. I like what one author said. He said, he, Ecclesiastes is like an explorer. 
and he's going to explore and he's, and he's learning all these truths. And then, like an explorer does, he brings it back and then he cleans the stuff up and then puts it in the, you know, the Smithsonian or whatever so that you can observe it. And that's what you're doing. You're observing the gems that he has, that he has explored and found and said, this is what you need to live by. And then finally, it's because we should learn it because uh, we're going to learn how to live for God and not for ourselves. See, just the flip opposite because the world says live for yourself, but now we're going to find out how can we live for God. And again, it's, it, that's what's really important, living for God. So there's a lot of good reasons why you want to study Ecclesiastes. I would encourage you to read it. I would encourage you to start reading through, knowing that whether I ever take you through it or someone else does, or you just say, you know what, man, I really need to get in this book. It will saw, I mean, it will, it will point you in the right direction. I have been so encouraged as I'm looking at this. All right, well, that's the first question. Why, why study it? Boy, there's just all, all kinds of good reasons to study it. How about number two? Who is the preacher? Because look at what it says in verse one. The words of the preacher. What do you mean preacher? And, and some people say, well, maybe the best way to interpret that is not preacher. Maybe it should be the teacher, the philosopher, the spokesman. The Hebrew is, I think it, the, the word is kohalath. But, but who is this guy speaking? Okay, who's this? Again, the Hebrew word literally means, I believe, teacher. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9 says, he taught the people knowledge. So he's a teacher, okay? He's a preacher. He's Literally, though, it's, it's not so much that he's gathering information as this, this word preach, preacher means not that he's gathering the information, but that he's gathering the people. See, it's the preacher. He's, he's calling the people together to say, listen, I've learned some truths, now I've got to call you together to tell you. It's kind of like what I'm doing right now, right? We've come together and we're learning. So that's really what it, it means, gathering or assembling of the community of people, the community of people of God. And, and, and notice the word Ecclesiastes. Does that sound... Well, if you, if you think about the New Testament and you think about the word church, the word church in the, word, in the New Testament is what word? Can anybody tell me? Ecclesia. See, this comes off of that. This is the gathering. See, this is the, this is the Greek form of the Hebrew that says this is the group that's gathering together, God's people, who's going to hear God's word. And so the preacher is calling together God's people to say, this is what God wants you to know. So that's, that's who he is. We'll, we'll keep with the preacher. I, I've been debating, should I call him the teacher, the philosopher? No, let's call him the preacher. Let's just keep to what... At least the new King James says. But, but then we have to ask the question this, who is this guy? I mean, uh, throughout many, many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it was always assumed to be Solomon. Then of recent, some of the newer commentators say, well, no, it's, it's a pseudo-Solomon. Solomon. It's, it's someone who took Solomon's teaching and then made it his own and said, I'm the preacher. But wait, let's look at this carefully. Verse 1 says, the preacher, the son of David, now, now we're, we're kind of bringing this down close, right? <laughs> the king in Jerusalem, look at verse 12. I, the preacher, 
king over Israel in Jerusalem. I, I, I think it's starting to narrow here. Verse 16 says, look, one sixteen says, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I became, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Well, remember Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12. It says, remember how Solomon did not ask for long life or riches or the life of the, his enemies. And, and God said in verse 12, Behold, because you haven't asked for them, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before, like you, before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. Well, I, I think if you start adding these up, I'll give you one last one. And it says in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, verse 9, that the, he taught the people knowledge. But in 1 Kings 4, it also says he spoke 3,000 proverbs and, and his songs were 1,005. Okay, you put it all together, and I'm quite convinced that this was Solomon, right? And this was Solomon, not at the beginning of his life, not at the, uh, not at the middle of his life, but at the end of his life. See, he tried everything, and he had the ability to try everything. He had the power, the riches, um, the, um, the wisdom. He, he could do it. I mean, he could act. I mean, if you could ever get a great guy to, hey, go out there and tell me if there's anything that can really satisfy, this guy could do it because he had the means. So he had the means. So I think we've established that the writer and the one that's doing this is Solomon. He's the preacher. But I want you to go to chapter 12, verse 11. Because I want to make sure we know who really the author is. Chapter 12, verse 11. says, the words of the wise are like goads, and the words of the scholars are like well-driven nails, given by one shepherd. Who's the one shepherd there? That's God. So even though Solomon has tried all this, and this is his memoirs, as it were, we've got to go right back and say, no, but this is inspired text. This is from God, Right? This is from the Holy Spirit, the one shepherd. He's the one. He wants us to know. So that's very, very important. And, and, and we see Solomon, by the way, we do see Solomon as the preacher. If you go to 1 Kings 8, and you don't have to turn there, but when he's, when he's bringing everybody together for the temple, he brings everybody together and preaches to them. Okay, so we actually see him doing that in 1 Kings 8. But again, with all the things said about Solomon, I think, I think it's very safe to say that Solomon is the preacher. He's the one that has the means. But when it's all said and done, as we study Ecclesiastes, this is from God. And we have to understand Because see, there's going to be times when you might question, boy, that doesn't make sense. That sounds like a human perspective. And we've got to step back and we've got to say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to tell us here? What are you, why did you write this? And again, um, I believe that uh, there's an absolute... Uh, per, uh, a, a purpose. He wants us to keep our eyes on him. So that's the preacher. That's Solomon. 
And let's, let's go to a third question. What is the preacher's message? Now, this is where it gets even harder. If you think finding out what the preacher is hard, this, this phrase right here is very, very hard. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Vanity, well, excuse me, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Five times, vanity, vanity, vanity. Um, one guy said it's a multi-purpose metaphor. It's, in other words, it's got a, a number of different meanings. This whole idea of vanity has a number of different meanings. Some people just say it means futile, empty, you know, like just not worth it. It's fleeting. Uh, Again, that, those are the people that say this is just pessimism. And, and if it really is that very, if it's really that pessimistic, why even read the book? I think people have shied away from it. They're, oh, vanity of vanity, all the vanity. I mean, it appears like 37 times in the book. Why am I going to read a book on vanity? I don't care about, I mean, you know. No, 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 no. He, he's just trying to give us an earthly perspective. He's trying to say this. If you set your eyes on anything under the sun, you're going to see that phrase over and over again, under the sun. Under the sun means that you are living without a God perspective. Then everything becomes vanity. It's empty. It's futile. But, but once you get your eyes above the sun, right? I mean, above the earth, above under the sun, you know, like you're looking at the Lord and His perspective. Now everything changes. Yes, the things of this earth are fleeting. But there's a perspective that we can find great joy. How can we enjoy the good things that God has given? Now, let me give you, taken literally this word vanity, the word is habel, H-E-B-A-L, or that's the Hebrew transliteration, uh, habel. It, it, it primary, primarily refers to breath, vapor, uh, a puff of smoke rising from the fire. See, so what, what is the preacher saying? Uh, life is like vanity of vanities. It's like a puff of smoke. It's, it's, it's elusive. It's, life is short-lived. It's mysterious. You know, you think you're going in one direction, and then the doctor says that, you know, you're going to be going in a different direction. And the prognosis is not what you thought. It's very mysterious. Don't you plan out your life and you think this is how it's going to be? And you know what? Normally it isn't. Right? So, I mean, he's, he hit it right. He hit the nail. He hit the nail. I mean, we plan our life, but the Lord, you know, arranges our steps. And, he, and so, vanity of vanity, like a breath. It, you could say it this way. It, it expresses the absurdity and the futility of life in a fallen world. You could actually say that. That's what vanity is. In a fallen world, so many times, it's just life doesn't make sense. But again, as you have your eyes on God, all of a sudden it does make sense. Fred Brock thought the word vanity like soap bubbles. I, I like this. And I asked Ken if he would get me his soap bubbles. See, he's the, he's the soap bubble man. Now, and, and I want you to pay attention to this illustration because this is a great illustration. I love soap bubbles. Actually, I got the big ones. You ever go, you know. But now think about, aren't those beautiful? Really? I mean, they are beautiful. And as this guy said, you could, can we just do this for a minute or is this going to ruin the pianos? <laughs> no, he, he said you could do it this way. Instead of saying vanity of vanity, all is vanity, how about this? Soap bubbles, soap bubbles, all is soap bubbles. See, 
And he says this, soap bubbles are delightfully beautiful. Multicolored, shimmering. I mean, if we could get the sun in here, you'd even see more. Is it ruining the pianos yet, Donna? Um, I mean, they're graceful. They change form. They're all round. But then what happens? Poof! Poof! I guess we better shut them off. I was going to have them run the whole service. Who was that? What was that show that one time? That yeah, the Lawrence Welk show. I mean, that was always Sunday night, right? No, no, no. See, think about soap bubble. I want you to really get that in your mind. Soap bubbles. I don't have a license for this thing, but can I do it? Yeah, I mean, think about it one more time. Let's protect the piano. No, because I want you to get the picture. That's a good way. Soap bubbles are very short-lived. Can't quite understand them. They're beautiful. You can enjoy them for the moment, and you should enjoy them for the moment. You don't want to be Ebenezer Scrooge, ah, soap bubbles, what about soap bubbles? I think sometimes Christians are like that. No, no, no. No, God, he's the giver. He's the giver. In fact, you know what, I gotta, I'm almost done with this message. Um, No, because if you get the point, see, this is what it says here. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And, and, and you're going to find over, I mean, over and over again, you're going to see this statement. Like, go to chapter 2, verse 24. And sometimes people say, well, this is a real short look. And sometimes they even misread what the, what the author is saying. It says, look, nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. Eat, drink, and be merry. You see the same thing in chapter 3, verse 13. Eat, drink, I mean, I'm adding the merry, but you see that in other passages. Uh, 3.13. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. And I'll end with chapter 5, though there's more. 5, verse 18. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun. That's very important. All the days of his life. Oh, it's so good to enjoy the soap bubbles. It's it's good to enjoy the meal. It's good to enjoy the friendships. It's good to enjoy all the beauty around us. It's so very, very good. And we should. And by the way, the more we learn to enjoy that, the more we can honor the one who gave it. But you will be sadly mistaken if you think that's going to bring ultimate satisfaction. That's the whole point. So when they're going on and you have the soap bubbles and all the great things, and we've just gone through Christmas and, and uh, New Year's, and we should just be, for the right reasons, You know, oh Lord, thank you so much for all the good that you have done. If you bring that into the text of Ecclesiastes, you're going to start understanding it. Okay? Now I'm done. My fingers off in the morning. Yeah. But soap bubbles, it's all soap bubbles. Again, we don't get negative on that. We just say that's how it is. It's short-lived. It's fleeting. Um, I mean, it's what James 4 says, right? For what is your life? It's even a vapor done, you know, like on a cold morning. So there is meaninglessness once you bring it into a cursed world 
under the sun and you forget God. Then it becomes meaningless. But that's only one. God doesn't want that for his children. I mean, you, you should be the most happy, the most joyful, the most enjoying of God's creation and what he's given to us, right? That honors and glorifies him. So that's, that's the word, and we'll, we'll break that apart. Um, you, you could, I, I think I put it in your outline, but if you don't, write this down, because this is, this is like the sum total. That word, Habel, vanity, expresses the futility, the, no, excuse me, expresses the futile attempt to be satisfied apart from God. The futile attempt to be a, satisfied apart from God. And I have an illustration for you that is very meaningful to me. Okay, so the, uh, it expresses the futile attempt to be satisfied, satisfied apart from God. One of the things as uh, they've been doing operations on me, um, they've been putting tubes in me. And one of the tubes, again, is my G-tube. goes directly to my stomach, which means this. When I drink water, when I eat, drink anything, uh, I have a way to like shut off my, tu- uh, my tube that goes literally out of my stomach. I, I don't want to be gross, but I only want you to know what I'm trying to get at. So my stomach has a tube that you, you can't see. I can shut it off for an hour, two hours. It builds up, and then I have to drain it because it doesn't go through my small intestine anymore. That's where the cancer is. Now, because of that, um, I can't get satisfaction. I cannot get water. Okay, like, I'll drink water. Oh, and by the way, I love water. And boy, is that satisfying for about 60 seconds. Why? Because the water goes into my stomach and it cannot go any farther. See, when you drink water, I mean, picture this, a warm, hot summer day. I used to hate it, you know. And, um, you know, you come in from the field and you go to the well, you know, Give me a, and give me, a glass, give me a quart of water. And man, you're chugging it down. And what does it do? It actually goes into your system, meets your cell needs, literally on a cellular level, and you're satisfied. Well, what mine does, sits there and then goes out. Well, a couple of days ago uh, when I came home, and, and I've been dealing with this. This has been a huge issue. Because I drink so much water, I've been depleting myself of uh, potassium, okay? And, which my potassium level got down to 2.5 one day, which is like, Getting pretty low. And uh, so, anyways, it was about 2 in the morning, and I got up, and my mouth was so dry. And I'm like, I, I'm like oh, give me some water. You know? So I, I go to the kitchen sink, and I got a quart jar, and I put some ice in it, I mean, about that much ice, and I filled it right up, and I shook it, you know, because I want to get down to about 34 degrees. Come on. And, um, and, so I, and, and so I look at this thing, and I'm like, okay. It's two in the morning. I mean, they don't want me to deplete my cells. I got to drink, but I got to drink something. So I drink. Oh, that was good. I mean to tell you that was good. I mean, I'm like praising God for ice water. Thank you, Lord, for ice water. And that's how we should, right? Bubbles, but and then, but unfortunately, it's kind of like eating chips. You ever sit down with chips? Yeah, all right. You know, you didn't eat a chip, but now you had a chip, and now you had a whole bag of chips. So I took another drink and. Oh, that was good. Thank you, Lord, for water. It got away from me. I drank the whole thing in like five minutes. And then it struck me, that is what vanity is. That's vanity. Why? Because I can't get satisfied with it. 
And in this earth, on this earth, there's nothing on this earth that truly satisfies. See, vanity is this, the futile attempt to be satisfied apart from God. I can't be satisfied with this any longer. I have to sip it and enjoy it. It only lasts for about 50 or 60 seconds, and I have to move on. In fact, I have to discipline myself to say, no more water, I'll deplete my potassium. And I think for us as Christians, we have to look at life like that. You know what? Oh, all the beauties of this world are great. But again, they can never truly satisfy. They can never truly meet the heart need. So what Solomon is saying is, listen, turn your eyes upon Christ. Turn upon his, you know, the glories that he can uh, give you as far as his satisfaction, his presence, um, his spirit, his law, his ways. So that's, that's basically the verse, first two verses. Now, I do want to end with one last thing. Just go quickly to chapter 12. Just chapter 12, because this is the end of the story. See, some people say, you know, Ecclesiastes is almost like a, uh, like a teenager's room. It's just kind of like, poof, you know, it's all kinds of stuff strewn here and there, and, and there's really no rhyme or reason, and, and there's no organization, and there's no purpose. But really, when it comes to Ecclesiastes, he starts out, and he's going to make a very, very concrete argument leading up to a very uh, appointed end. Okay, there's a final question. Is there any purpose to Ecclesiastes? Is there any final outline? And the answer is yes. And you find it in verses 9 through 14. And I'll read it and close with one thought and ask Steve to come up to do communion. But look at what it says in verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and I read this, and it was given by one shepherd. Verse 12, And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is weariness to the flesh. One of the things I think he's saying there is, listen, come to the conclusion that what I'm saying is true. Don't just keep studying and not learning the truth of what this book is saying. But then look at verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. What does Proverbs say? That's the, that's the beginning of knowledge. Fear God. And keep his commandments. In other words, do what he says. For this is man's all. This is what's going to have, create true satisfaction. Verse 14. For God will bring every work into judgment. See, that's why I say this book is not going to say eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. That's Epicureanism. No, no. Because what does it say here? Yeah, tomorrow you die and, and tomorrow you're going to be judged. No, he, he's going to say, he's going to keep saying this. Eat, drink, and be merry for the glory of God because it honors him. Okay? And then finally, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Uh, John Wesley had, John Wesley was an old preacher back in, I think, 1700s, and he preached through Ecclesiastes, and he said, after preaching through the whole thing, he said, I came up with this one grand truth, and that is this. There is no happiness outside of God. There is no happiness outside of God. And as a pastor to the preacher to the congregation, as we come to the Lord's table, and as we consider his presence and all that the Lord Jesus has, come, has done for us, I want, you to, I want you to hear that. We will never find any true meaning or lasting happiness unless and until we find it in God. Amen? Young people, do you hear what I'm saying? You can't find happiness outside of God. Middle age, older, it's all found in God. Amen? 
That's why we keep coming back to the table. We keep coming back to the table, remembering what Christ did. And what Christ did for us wasn't... He didn't want to bring us just happiness here. It's about eternal happiness. So again, praise the Lord, I got through it.